the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. It is perhaps just a generation or so ago that we argued in apologetics debates, particularly, that God said, hath God said. Well, today the debate is simply that God, meaning does he even exist? Nietzsche asserted a century ago that God was dead, suggesting at least at the minimum that at one time God did exist. But today we debate his very existence ever A new book helps you address a lot of these questions, perhaps questions you yourself have struggled with, certainly questions that maybe you struggle with in answering for uh, friends as you share your faith. The book is called simply, Does God Exist? And 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible. Its author is uh, lead pastor from Life Fellowship Church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and the founder and host of the video ministry, The One Minute Apologist, Pastor Bobby Conway. Pastor Conway, great to have you on the program. Hey, it's good to be with you, buddy. Well, I guess these days, particularly with what we see going on in the world around us, whether we talk about politics or the spate of violence in particular, and a lot of it taking place in God's name or in Allah's name, and a lot of people get confused between the two, a lot of Christians really struggle to try to come up with these answers that will help satisfy uh, friends as they or co-workers as they share their faith. And in looking at your new book, I mean, it certainly isn't a 500-page tome, uh, you could almost practically memorize the entire book and toward that degree i just wonder if that was your intent well what i did want to do is help uh, my readers to gain some confidence around curious questions that they may have or people whom they're engaging conversations with might have and so what i did basically is i've got almost a thousand videos on our one minute apologist youtube uh, ministry site where I interview world-leading philosophers and apologists, and then I do a lot of the questions myself. And I just sought to take, you know, 50 or so of those type of questions that I do in video format and then put them in written format. So I wrote that book to give people a tool of some of the questions that people are asking today. And what I like about the book, Pastor, is it is literally a book that you could memorize. I mean, you you could almost spend a few minutes with this every day and commit a lot of the answers uh, to memory. There, there's some give and take in here, questions to consider, uh, memory verses that, uh, that tie into uh, each of the questions, along with uh, information concerning the links to the accompanied YouTube videos that you've produced, that I think really can help equip Christians for, as, as Paul told us, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within. Yes, and I also think that people want 
information, especially in this age, that is digestible. And I think that there is a place for uh, the tome, and I'm all about that. I read those myself. I think that it's good, though, for people to have a tool. And being a pastor, I have to be a pragmatician, uh, and I think that this is something that can serve as a tool whereby people can get together in small groups or in coffee shops, uh, or they can just have it as a resource manual to look up questions either about theology or worldview or sexual issues or some of the different things that we're facing right before us right now. Uh, one of the things that I like about your approach to this, so when I first picked up the book, I thought, well, we're going to expect to find some basic questions in there, sort of the questions of time and memoriam, that does God exist, what about the virgin birth, uh, uh, is Jesus equal to, to God, things of this sort that are kind of basic Christian theology. But you have not shied away from dealing with any of the contemporary questions, so to speak, of our day either. For example, I first read it and thought, did I read that right? Will there be sex in heaven? Uh, you, you don't shy away, shy away from any of these topics, do you? Well, I mean, the reality is, is people have these questions. And I think in the church, we need to say, hey, look, if we're sincerely striving to learn, it's okay to ask questions. Uh, and will there be sex in question? I mean, that's not uh, out of reason to ask that kind of question. Uh, will I still be married in question uh, in heaven? I mean, these are questions that, that people thought about. In fact, that Jesus was uh, posed such a question, and we learned that, you know what, we're going to be, you know, like the angels in heaven, neither given in marriage. So there's going to be a marriage on earth till death do us part. So there's not going to be sex in heaven, but I think that that's not anything for us to dread. It's hard to imagine as adults, a world where there cannot be intimacy uh, between a person that we love, but we can know in heaven that the purpose of sex here on earth is for mutual pleasure and procreation, and our ultimate pleasure will be found in God, and there will be no procreative reasons for us to have sex in heaven. What's good, too, I think, about your approach to the book, Pastor, is that in addition to helping tackle questions that uh, we could run into day by day as we share our faith with others, there are also some very timely topics that, quite frankly, a lot of Christians struggle with themselves. They don't quite understand the answers, and we live in a society that not only promotes this sense of, of certainly, uh, uh, theological pluralism, but also from the standpoint of wanting to be, quote-unquote, tolerant, uh, and yet we say, gee, how How do I come about giving an articulate response to some of the more controversial topics? I mean, take, for example, the matter of marijuana use. Now, here in California, we're going to head to the ballot in November, not only decide who the next president will be, U.S. Senator from California, but also decide whether or not we should follow in the footsteps of Colorado and legalize recreational use of marijuana. This is one of the topics that you've chosen to deal with. I discern between medical marijuana and uh, recreational use of marijuana. I grew up in California myself, and I've been clean since October 9, 1994. I got clean at my first semester at Chico State, of all places. And uh, I don't know if it's still the party school it was back in the in the 90s. But it has a reputation. There, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought quite the place to go and get sober. I went to an AA meeting October 9, 1994. And I've been clean ever since. And so I smoked a lot of dope myself in California, so I'm not throwing uh, stones at those who, uh, who do. But I will say that I know back then a good hit of some green butt could get a high going. And with the THC levels where they are today, I just don't see how we can uh, maintain, 
you know, temple care. The Bible talks about, you know, we're to honor our bodies, we're to take care of our temple, it kills brain cells. I think from a standpoint of medical use, I can see a real avenue for that. Suppose we were to wake up and read in a newspaper and we'd never heard about marijuana before, with, and we didn't have the negative connotations, and we saw scientists have found a leaf that can help those with cancer patients who are cancer patients to digest their food, to help them to gain weight, and to assuage them in the midst of their pain. I don't think we'd think anything of it because people use uh, many medications that are far worse right now than marijuana. So I can say I could see it being okay there, but just recreationally, I think that it's hard to make that case. If you've just joined our conversation, visiting tonight with the lead pastor from Life Fellowship Church outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, the author of a new book called Does God Exist? This and 51 other compelling questions about God and the Bible. It is a bite size, which is what I like about this. Um, a lot of people get put off. Questions arise. They don't know how to answer them. And they're too intimidated to uh, go out and buy a 500-page uh, tome on the topic. And so, as a result, they just sort of maintain their sense of ignorance. But it's hard to be effective when it comes to witnessing today and not be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within, as Paul said. Not be uh, prepared to engage in in thoughtful, reasoned give and take, and to be able to take a stand. And most importantly, not only be educated and equipped ourselves, but then share that knowledge with others as we share our faith. And that's a long way toward what this book uh, is, is focused on doing. Newly published by Harvest House, by the way. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation, deal with a few other hot topics of the day as our visit with Pastor Bobby Conway, author of Does God Exist? continues here on Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Helping you answer the big questions of the day, uh, perhaps for yourself, certainly for others, as you share your faith, having a sense of uh, a solid discipleship where we are learned a bit. Uh, we are trained, so to speak, within the basics of apologetics is, is kind of, uh, unfortunately, passing away, meaning that fewer and fewer churches um underscore the importance of this. And yet, I think really to be an effective witness in sharing our faith and also have a good sense of grounding in our own relationship with Christ, it's important that we have some of these fundamental answers, a fundamental understanding of our faith. And uh, the new book, Does God Exist? and 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible goes a long way toward, in a very uh, direct fashion, answer many of those questions. Its author is our guest today, Bobby Conway. He is also the lead pastor of Life Fellowship Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's also authored other books and uh, is the founder and host, by the way, of the rapidly growing video ministry, The One Minute Apologist, which is, I guess, Bobby, if you just do a, um, a search in YouTube, all of the link will come up? Absolutely, yeah. Just type in One Minute Apologist. We have a channel in YouTube, or they can go to the OneMinuteApologist.com and they can learn more about the videos there. And this is really, I mean, I, I think of not just uh, new believers, but uh, good refresher course for some of us that have been in faith for a lot of years, as well as an opportunity to get studied with a biblical perspective on some of the so-called hot topics of the day, which I know a lot of believers struggle with. I mean, for example, this issue of uh, transvestitism or sex change uh, has been a lot in the news lately, particularly with uh, uh, Bruce Jenner capturing a lot of headlines. And I know that when the topic comes up, other than uh, sharing 
carrying a sense of uh, disbelief or uh, uh, frustration with the topic. The, many, many Christians, I think, are just frustrated. They don't know how to answer. They don't know how to respond when this debate or this topic is approached. It's too bad that uh, the church has a reputation uh, for being bombastic at times. By and large, uh, the Christians that I come in contact are wonderful people, uh, humble people, but a lot of times they're not ready to engage in conversation uh, with people. Those who would say apologetics uh, isn't important uh, obviously uh, haven't been out sharing uh, with non-believers or engaging them with questions about their faith, because those questions will come up. And in, in particular, this one on sex change, uh, this is a huge issue in our culture right now. And I do think that we should be looking for ways to exhibit compassion. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to feel trapped uh, with another gender inside of my body. Uh, at the same token, I think we can show a compassion. You know, I can't, you know, imagine what that would be like. I'm not trying to throw stones at you here. I'm just trying to be faithful to the way that I believe that God created us. And I believe that uh, the chromosomal structure cannot be changed through a sex change. Uh, our chromosomal structure reveals whether we're male or female. Now, there is an intersex condition that some would have where maybe they might have some, you know, partial male and partial female body parts, and I can understand the situation like that where they might seek counsel and get some wisdom on how to be unified so they don't, so that individual doesn't feel like they're half male, half female. That makes sense. But I do think biblically we should realize that uh, sex is not something that we can just uh, play with. It's We're designed by God with a certain gender. The other thing that I think believers should appreciate from a book like this is not only equipping them in terms of a, a better, more articulate, articulate uh, apologetic approach to many of the hot topics of the day from a biblical perspective, but also some of the topics that kind of swirl within the church that oftentimes uh, we need to gain a deeper, more foundational understanding on. Uh, it is probably unlikely for the most part that the average non-believer is going to want to engage you in questions about the Trinity, but we know that uh, modalism or uh, Trinitarianism within the church, there are corners where this is hotly contested and debated, and from time to time, I think at least from a good biblical foundation, from a discipleship standpoint, it's important that believers understand what the Bible actually has to say on topics that are very relevant to the Christian's faith, particularly an issue such as the Trinity. Sure, that's a good point, Craig, where we see that God is one in essence and three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think that there's a lot of confusion today, and I think that in my last book I wrote called Doubting Toward Faith, I wrestled with some of my own doubts and wrote about some of my own struggle with it and shared how, you know, we're living in a melting pot culture of belief. We're like a nation without a mission statement. We're not what we once were. We're not sure what we're becoming, but in between, in this tweener space, it's great. And there's lots of questions, and we're experiencing what Jennifer Heck talked about, this idea of cosmopolitan doubts, where my belief's bumping up against somebody else's belief, and we're wondering, how can I know what I believe is really true? And I think that we need to help people to deal with these questions and with their doubts, and a lot of people are intimidated to share their doubts because they're going to feel like they're an immature believer if they do, and I want to say as a pastor and as an apologist that in the absence of certainty, there's always going to be room for doubt. The question is, which worldview closes the doubt gap the best? 
And me, as a Christian pastor, I can struggle with doubts. But I believe when I look at the case for the resurrection of Jesus, and when I think about our worldview compared to other worldview options, I believe Christianity is uh, the greatest worldview standing and offers the greatest amount of evidence for us. Um, do we also have to uh, concede that there are some topics for which there's just not real clear direction within Scripture, uh, that sort of uh, now we see uh, through a da- glass darkly uh, approach that, you know, there are certain mysteries, so to speak, that we do not fully comprehend and give believers a sense of relief that that's okay? I think so. I think it makes us, uh, look, if somebody gets discipled, they're a brand new Christian, and then they go, okay, I've been discipled, I've had my five hours of training, uh, they're often ultra-dogmatic. They go out and they feel like they've, they've read their Left Behind series and they know how God's going to wrap the world up. And <laughs> Look, the reality is, is if we're going to go in and out of some of these doctrinal positions on age of the earth or the timing of Jesus' return or which translation to use or whether or not one's a Calvinist or Arminian, and I think we need to give people some real freedom to think because sometimes we can give people such a tight doctrinal list that then if they're just thinking because they read another book, not trying to disobey God, just wrestling with the argument. They can feel like they're doing something wrong, and the reality is, is they're just thinking. And I think that's when we get back to, we need to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, love our neighbors ourselves. As Christians, our faith is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're keeping our faith there, and then we live it with a lot of flexibility, and we give each other a lot of grace, because we're splintering the church to death in the name of our pet particularities, and I think we need to loosen up a little bit. And I think that's a key point that you make, because there's also this perspective that says, listen, um, there are some doctrines, so to speak, that are going to constantly be open for debate. I mean, you know, upon baptism, should we sprinkle or should we dunk? I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's evidence to show, certainly from Christ's experience with it, that uh, the dunking is the way to go. That said, it certainly doesn't classify as a damnable doctrine, meaning that if you don't embrace it or believe it certain ways, uh, that, that you're going to be outside the confines of, 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 of so-called normative or, or um, a historical Christianity. But there's also this notion that we can sometimes get so caught up in the minutia of some of these completely unwinnable debates that we we end up seeing our relationship with very Christ himself suffer, don't we? I just would love to see the church at large really grasp what you're saying right there, because if we could just get the beauty and the joy of learning. Yes, there's a corpus of theology that we're to believe, but the reality is, is we've got over 40,000 denominations. Uh, you know, uh, you can pit many of these great theologians that are our heroes, and they contradict each other on some of these viewpoints as well. That doesn't mean that undercuts our belief ultimately in the authority of Scripture. What it means is people are finite. And yes, there's one interpretation from God's perspective, but as humans, I believe, myself included, none of us walk around as perfect interpreters of Scripture. So that should create some humility in us that, you know what, we're going to do our best to show ourselves as workmen who are approved of studying the Word of God, but we're going to be humble with the way that we handle that with others as well. And in doing so, of course, being prepared to give that answer, to not only deepen your own relationship with Christ and understanding of your own faith, but then to be more effective communicator at discipling believers that you've won to Christ, and certainly hope that's part of uh, your your life experience, and then, too, to be prepared to share your faith with others. This book goes a long way in a very easy fashion, 
It answers the question, does God exist? That and 51 other compelling questions about God, the Bible, and quite frankly, life in general, wrestling with a lot of the questions, contemporary ones that we struggle with to this very day. Bobby Conway is the author of the new book, lead pastor of Life Fellowship Church, located just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, great job on the book, newly published, by the way, by our friends at Harvest House and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through some of the usual suspects, Amazon.com. You can also get it through Pastor Conway's website, Bobby Conway. Spell it just the way it sounds, bobbyconwayonline.com. That's bobbyconwayonline.com. And, you know, if you're looking for some quick, easy to nibble on and digest uh, and memorize content, not only the book, but also uh, we mentioned about his YouTube channel uh, that provides, what did you say, Bobby, over a 1,000 videos? Well, we're working close to a 1,000. We've got about 900 right now, so almost a 1,000 different videos. And these are all called the one-minute apologist that deals with just short, bite-sized chunks of information on a whole variety of topics that, that very much mimic uh, what the book does. So you can check that out on YouTube by simply uh, doing a, a Google search. Go to YouTube and look for the one-minute apologist. Again, the book, Does God Exist? And 51 Other Compelling Questions About God and the Bible, newly published by Harvest House. Our thanks to Pastor Bobby Conway for being with us tonight here on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. What has Frank Peretti been up to? He, the New York Times best-selling author of such favorites as This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness, The Oath, The Visitation. Well, Frank has been busy, and now he's back with a brand new novel entitled Illusion, already on the New York Times best-selling list. And Frank Peretti, is always great to have you on the program. Well, man, I am really glad to be with you. Thanks a lot. And delighted to have you back with yet another great, exciting novel. This one, kind of an interesting one, and I think one that, in reading through this, even though I think perhaps, Frank, a lot of us would consider your work as sort of a, a novels targeted toward adults, the aspect of magic that you bring into this new novel, I think, has got something for everybody. Oh, it's a, it's a really cool story, Um I keep imagining it like a movie. I, I can really see it as a family kind of movie, too. It's just got some great visuals and with all the magic tricks and the effects. And uh, the characters delightful, too. Give us kind of an overview. And, of course, we never want to give away the plot. But as I understand it, um, you, you follow the life of a husband and wife team who suddenly, in a tragic car accident, the wife dies, or so we think. Or so we think, and Dane, this Dane and Mandy, they've been a magic act for 40 years, but they're separated. Of course, there's a terrible car wreck, and Mandy is supposedly killed. Dane retires, moves up to Idaho, gets a ranch, and he just kind of grieves his loss, wondering what in the world he's going to do, and he misses her so much. In the meantime, Mandy, who, well, we thought she was dead, but damn, it's one of those uh, weird, mysterious science fiction kind of things that we don't know what in the world's happened. It's part of the mystery. She ends up as the 19-year-old girl she was back in 1970. And here she is in 2010. And uh, she thinks she's crazy. Everybody else does, too. She ends up in a mental ward for a while because here's this girl in 2010 thinking that she's from 1970. And, uh, well, she gets away from the mental ward and 
She's a magician by trade. She does magic tricks. She did from junior high and high school and was in talent shows and things. So she goes out on the sidewalk and starts doing magic tricks uh, for people, just trying to get a few tips to survive because she can't get a job or anything. Well, while she's out there on the sidewalk, she runs into this 60-year-old man who happens to be a pretty good magician himself. He begins to mentor her and tell her how to perform and how to uh, increase her skills and so forth, and so begins this relationship. But, of course, what you have here is Mandy, who thinks she's crazy because she thinks she's from 1970, and then you have Dane, who has just lost his wife and is grieving for his wife, and now he's looking at a girl who's the spitting image of the girl he met in Philadelphia 40 years ago. And so now you have the mystery and the romance all beginning to wind up. And uh, so here we go. You know, what's fascinating about this, this journey, Frank, that you take us on inside the pages of illusion that really, in many respects, sort of transcends time and space, something that ironically I think all of us have have dreamed of doing either for the pure fascination of it or maybe with the thought in mind of being able to go back and change our path or right some wrongs or or somehow be able to have a, an ultimate uh, better outcome uh, of the future. That's really interesting. Uh, that was part of what goes into this when I was writing the thing is going back over my life and, and the places I've been and how much things have changed over the years. Um, for instance, Mandy is suddenly in a world of cell phones and computers and uh, wireless networks. Uh, none of that stuff existed in 1970. And uh, it's just amazing how fast things can change. And what would we have done differently? <laughs> when you start playing around with time, all kinds of questions come up. Oh, undoubtedly so. And then, of course, on top of that, you, you mix in this element of magic. Now, talk to me about that, because I've, I've got to imagine, just based on your, your previous bestsellers down through the years, which folks are all familiar with, going back to this present darkness and so forth, you obviously have a broad and very fertile mind, most of that concentrated in the supernatural and looking at, you know, what goes on in, in the other realm that, that we're all present in, um, and yet into this novel, you fold in the fascination of magic. Was this something that attracted you, Frank, even as a kid? Yeah, I've always... Uh, I've never been a magician myself, but of course, I always liked a good magic act. And you can't beat a good magic act for uh, visual stuff. It can be very interesting to watch. And... Uh, I was dealing with... Um, time warps and interdimensional travel and all kinds of really interesting things that, oh man, it works perfectly when you have a magician who suddenly, in Mandy's case, and is able to perform illusions that nobody can explain. And it all ties into the uh, mysterious scientific thing that's going on in the background and who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It's a, it's a gradually building mystery. And so it's all organic to the story and highly visual and fun at the same time. And toward that degree, I mean, you don't approach this in the novel casually. I mean, you actually brought in a professional magician, I understand, to serve as kind of a consultant. So that as you're working at bringing the visual to life through words, you were really looking for a great degree of realism here, weren't you? Oh, 
my. That's what made it so much fun, uh, doing all the research for this. Tony Brandt, he's a magician down in Orlando, Florida. He plays, uh, performs all the time at uh, a place called Wonderworks in Orlando, Florida. Wonderful Christian brother, and he is absolutely hilarious. Now, he's really funny. And he does some amazing illusions just uh, as a matter of riotous performance. <laughs> and, uh, oh, he spent a whole lot of time with me and gave me a whole list of books to read. And uh, I bought magic tricks and I read books and I subscribed to Magic Magazine for two years. And uh, it's really a fascinating field. And I really respect these men and women who get into this field who are really good at what they do because it is hard. I tried to a couple magic tricks myself and made a fool of myself. <laughs> it, it takes a lot of practice to do what they do. And yet what's interesting about all of this is that even though we're watching magic and it takes us to a whole different realm that clearly uh, tricks our eyes, tricks our mind, that, that sense of what really isn't, but they're trying to convince us that it is, uh, there are some parallels to that in the spiritual realm, aren't there? Well, there's, yeah, the whole point of uh, illusion, like the Mandy and Dane spent their lives creating illusions and uh, entertaining people with the idea that, oh, they're seeing something that isn't really the way they think it is. Uh, at the same time, they're kind of trapped in a weird situation where they're actually part of an illusion themselves. And that speaks symbolically of our struggles here in the spiritual realm where we are trying to discern truth from error and often we are in a situation in our lives where we think, well, what does the scripture say? There is a way that seems right but the end thereof is death. Um, deception can set in and we can think we're doing okay but things aren't the way we think they are. And of course, ironically, then in that regard I guess the, the, the great master illusionist would be Satan himself uh, who, you know, from the very beginning there in the Garden of Eden, question hath God said, is it all that it really appears to be? Uh, and, and immediately to get our minds kind of thinking down a different track, that uh, we mix the, the differences between what is reality and what is fantasy, or maybe uh, more appropriately so in the spiritual dynamic, uh, what is good and what is evil. Well, exactly, and that's part of the one of the themes of the illusion is Mandy is the one who's lost in this huge illusion where she doesn't know who she is or when or where she is doesn't and uh, it's part of the struggle for her to weave through all of this and uh, Dane as a type of Christ becomes her guiding light and if she just kind of keeps aiming for him and follows his counsel she gets through all this web of deception and so it's an interesting symbolism that runs through the book she's uh, like I said from the book she's like a salmon swimming up river she is going to get there and nothing's going to stop her and often that's exactly the way we are in our walk and our struggles and so forth we just have that goal of heaven in mind and with God to guide us and Jesus as our Lord and our wisdom, we we weave through it, you know, and we withstand all the deception and we finally get there. Ooh, that's and, cool. That's a great thought. And, of course, one of the exciting things here, too, as much as we, we began talking about that sense that this is a journey inside the pages of illusion that, that sort of transcends time and space and, and something that we've all dreamed of doing when we can go in and manipulate things to change the outcome, where in real life, while we can't do that, 
uh, we, we can change the outcome insofar as the end results. I think about man's separation from God based on our sin. And while there's no way to go back and undo the ways in which we have offended a holy and righteous God, there is a way that we can nevertheless escape, escape the penalty that we are due through the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross. Well, that is so precious. And you know, it's the grace of the Lord that follows us, the fact that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, that we are, you know, I, I like to think of King David, you know, who stumbled in so many ways. It wasn't it wasn't just with Bathsheba, he, he, he was a man of clay like any of the rest of us, and yet he had a heart for God, and God recognized that, and always honored David as a man after his own heart. And uh, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I, I, I stumble in many ways, but I walk in the grace of God. I walk in the righteousness that's, uh, that, that's mine in Christ. And, oh, man, when I get to the end of my life, I want the Lord to be able to say, Frank did a good job. He, <laughs> he messed up here and there, but you know what? He's a man after my own heart. Our conversation today with New York Times bestselling author Frank Peretti, the latest book entitled Illusion, now available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as on Amazon.com. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation with Frank Peretti as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with our very special guest today, we are delighted, as always, to have New York Times bestselling author Frank Peretti join us on the program. This time around, we're talking about Frank's latest book, just newly released. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it, of course, online. Recently made its way right up to the New York Times bestseller list, as we would have anticipated from Frank, a new book entitled Illusion. Interesting in this novel, as we were mentioning before the break, Frank, because you you, you draw in a great deal of magic into the book and so there's that sense of escapism and yet some of the some of the strong realities that we have to deal with in life and and in that regard uh, very much like your previous best-selling novels where you've warned us of some of the the realities that we face particularly as believers whether we're dealing with the reality of the danger of, of, of the spread of new ageism in our society today or just the reality of the, the spiritual warfare the spiritual minefield that we find ourselves in Oh yeah, uh, every book I've written, it you can almost trace where I've been in my walk with the Lord and the things that have concerned me that I felt I should write about. Uh, just check the books like the Darkness books, this present darkness and piercing the darkness. Those were directly about spiritual warfare, addressing the encroachment of neo-paganism culture and how demonic. And, you know, demonic spirits and their influence can be a reality. When I wrote The Visitation, I was writing about our our questions, our doubts, our struggles with our faith that happens sometimes. And how we kind of want to have a Jesus of our own making who gives us what we want instead of making us take our vitamins and finish our dinner, <laughs> so to speak. Um yeah, I, I wrote, I, in this book, Illusion, I just wanted to write about the beauty of marriage and how God gave us marriage and, and a beautiful wife as such a wonderful symbolism of Jesus and his church. Um, it's a beautiful pattern 
mentioned earlier about a number of your films, Frank, that have made it to the big screen. I think of The Visitation, which was adapted for film back in 2006, others as well. Uh, kind of a, a passion of yours, as I recall. I think I read somewhere that you had studied film and screenwriting at UCLA. This new book it sounds like it's got tremendous potential to make it to the big screen and, and with a great degree of excitement, given um, all of the wonderful uh, magic that uh, takes place throughout the pages of Illusion. Well, this book would make an absolutely tremendous movie because it has all the right ingredients. It has adventure. It has a deep and wonderful, very meaningful romance in it. It'd be a great movie. It's a movie for the family, too, uh, Good, feel good story. This is, you know, obviously a great reward for many authors to see their um, books eventually make it to the big screen. Even though there's sometimes frustration in the in the way in which things kind of lose something in the translation. For you, was this a passion from the very beginning? In other words, even when you sat down and wrote some of your early big bestsellers like This Present Darkness and and Piercing the Darkness to go back a better part of 20 years, was there an idea even behind uh, those books at the time that you'd hoped that they would make it to the big screen? And that that dream kind of stayed with me even into my adult years. So that was the way I was going. But, of course, that is such a very very difficult and complicated business. God in his divine plan decided that uh, I should just be a novelist and so that's what I'm doing today. Uh, well, it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, along the way, you, you get the pleasure once in a while of seeing one of your works to, in fact, to make it to the big screen. Now, when you are not busy uh, writing or adapting your books for the big screen, uh, do you still fiddle around with the banjo? I understand at one time you used to play uh, a pretty mean banjo in the bluegrass group. I sure did. I played in a group called Northern Cross, and we were a band for nine and a half years. And Yeah, I played the banjo, and, uh, well, I don't know, I listened to our CD, and I guess I was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> now, does, now does, does Barbara still let you uh, break the banjo out once in a while and do that? Can you play it around the house okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was just, I had it up this morning, as a matter of fact, and I was trying to get back into shape again. I have another little gig coming up where I have to play, and so, man, I got to get it out of mothballs and get my fingers going again. So, that was a lot of fun getting that out. That's fun. That, that's good. You know, it gives you a nice, uh, nice break, too, from, uh, from the writing and, and something that you obviously have a joy and passion for. Uh, you are um, kind of a native to the Pacific Northwest, as I recall, and you're still living up in Idaho, aren't you? Right, yeah, I'm up in the Idaho Panhandle. Um, if you have any idea, you can see Cord Lane or Kellogg on the map. I'm up in that neck of the woods. Nice part of the country, and, uh, you know, you're not too far away from the action if you want it, and yet uh, a great way to get away in God's country and, and uh, be amongst the, uh, the tall ones, as they say. Oh, yeah, well, it's real pretty right now. We're finally getting into springtime, and, uh, boy, I can look out my window here and see snow-capped mountains, and then there's forest and there's a river down below the house that's running real high now because the snow's melting so. that's a that's a great inspiration isn't it for a writer to have that kind of a an environment in which to to uh, be able to sit down and kind of uh, commune with god and nature and then uh, let the creative juices flow isn't it well there's such a wonderful feeling of serenity here and just to walk out and hear the birds singing and Right now, the, the blossoms are bursting out, and ooh, man, they're pretty. So it's a continual show out there. The Lord's always doing something. What's, um, 
What's anything in the works coming up now that you've got this one to press and already uh, made it to the New York Times bestseller list? Uh, do authors uh, think that far ahead? Uh, what do you look for when you say, okay, time to sit down and start putting another one down on paper? Well, what I do, what I'm doing right now is I'm just doing a lot of listening and thinking and praying and sorting things out. I'm exploring the church and its history and where it is now and where it's going. And I have some questions I'd like to grapple with and try to figure out. And I, I, I try to discern the mind of God in terms of what he wants me to write about. So it's, uh, not, just, it's not just necessarily spontaneous whatever hits the top of your mind. I mean, in the end, there is a theme here in the sense that you want your readers to walk away both having been entertained and hopefully to get them to ask a lot of the right questions in, in, in the realm toward where the Lord would want us to be thinking. Yeah, that's right. I, I view myself as, uh, I guess I'm a builder and an equipper. I try to feed and equip and build the body of Christ and just keep them thinking, keep them growing. And I do that through stories, just the way Jesus did. Yeah, good example, and, and and obviously a wonderful way to illustrate, because it, it takes us into a realm that we can all either escape to or relate to, and at the very least put us into that place where we start thinking and praying, um, and, and hopefully really being earnest about uh, seeking after God. In the end, Frank, for those that are going to go run out and pick up a copy of your new book, Illusion, what do you hope that they take away from this particular book? Well, I think it's best said that there's a guy wrote to me on Facebook, and he read the book, and he was married to his wife for 31 years. Well, he still is. <laughs> but he said, you know, I already enjoyed your book. And he, he named his wife, and she, her name is Tammy. And he said, you know, your book helped me to really appreciate my wife all the more. And I thought to myself, well, now there's somebody who really got the point of this book. <laughs> so is there, a, is there a big part of you and Barbara in this book? I mean, is there a lot of inspiration taken from your own relationship inside the pages of Illusion? Most certainly. I mean, we don't have the same story as Dave and Mandy do, but the emotions, the love, the uh, devotion is still there. And there are a few little snapshots of Barb in there that I borrowed from our real life. I gave those to Mandy. So... Yeah, I, I drew upon our relationship and my own feelings uh, and my own reflections of my love for her when I wrote this book. Does she get a, a chance to see that? In other words, before you say, okay, honey, I'm, I'm sending the manuscript off, does she get a chance to set eyes to that so she can kind of pass, to, pass the official approval? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's the first one who gets a chance to read it. Actually, I read it to her as we're lying in bed there before we turn the lights off. If I've got a new chapter, I'll, I'll read it to her. And, uh, uh, <laughs> is there a sense, Frank, uh, that as you do so, if Barbara gives thumbs up, you know that you're heading in the right direction? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's times when she'll say, uh, she'll say if she doesn't get something or something went by her, then that helps me to fix it, too, and make sure that it works. And especially, you know, especially when one of my characters is a woman. 
um, it's very helpful for me, a guy, to have a woman reading and hearing this to help me uh, stand on track as to how a woman deals with problems in life and how she thinks and what's important to her. Absolutely. And, and then what yeah. a great way to not only celebrate your own relationship, but then, as you say, when somebody is uh, emailing you or writing you to say, gee, Frank, the new book really helped me in my marriage relationship, uh, what a delightful outcome. I know that in the end, it's got to be the heart's desire of every novelist like yourself, not only to enter entertain people, but to challenge them. And if somebody can grow and learn from a, a book like Illusion, even more so than it worth all the effort. Exactly. Yeah, I, I need to know that I'm making a difference out there. So it means a lot when people write or they come up to me and, and tell me what, what how the books have touched their lives. That's what makes the whole business worthwhile. That's what keeps me doing it. And clearly for all the millions that have gone out and picked up copies of your books down through the years, uh, Frank, you're making a difference and you're bringing a great deal of joy to all of us. And uh, no doubt readers of the new book will feel the same. Already on the New York Times bestseller list, the book, Illusion, its author, our guest on this edition of Lifeline, Frank Peretti. Frank, is always a delight to have you on the show. Thanks for dropping by to visit. My privilege and an honor, too. Thank you very much. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.